Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream Wednesday edition. Thank you for joining us. You are watching us now on Twitch and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. And we thank you for watching us in all the places. Please don't thank forget you. to subscribe and rate the show, especially like those of you who are listening to us as a podcast afterwards. Make sure you rate the show. People can find the podcast. I am Aaron Schatz, the Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders. I am joined, as always, on Wednesdays by Mike Tanier, staff writer and dean of Walkthrough. And uh, today's third person in the booth is Rob Weintraub. Rob, the third man in the ring. <laughs> so this is a Ask Me Anything show. So we've already got some good questions from Twitter and Instagram, and we want you to bring on the questions. I mean, for all the shows, we want you to bring on the questions yep. in the chat through Twitch or YouTube. But, uh, you know, especially today, we would love for folks to bring on the questions. But I'm going to talk to Rob about a question first, because Rob is our uh, preeminent Cincinnati Bengals fan. You can see the helmet on behind that shoulder. Yeah, wrong shoulder. <laughs> and so uh, let's talk a little bit about what you think is better for Cincinnati this year because they look like a real live playoff contender. They're 13th so far in DVOA, uh, and mostly it's the defense. The defense is fifth so far in DVOA. So what has changed from last year that they are playing so well? Yeah, well, you know, follow the money. Uh, they spent a lot of money this year and last year and previous to 2020 in the offseason to bring on some guys who could actually tackle. Uh, first and foremost was DJ Reader, who only played five games last year, and he's had a, a real effect on the inside of that uh, Bengals interior line. He really start there. All four tackles. They also brought in Larry Ogunjobi this year. They uh, managed to get B.J. Hill for Billy Price in a bag of balls from the Giants. He's played well. Uh, they did, you know, the, the swap for essential swap, let Carl Lawson go, bring in Trey Hendrickson. A lot of people thought that was a lateral move at best. It maybe it's true, but you know, obviously Lawson's injured and you can't really compare them head to head, but Lawson was injured a lot in Cincinnati too. And they basically, that was a big part of the reason they did that. And Hendrickson has played really well. He's been there pretty much their only pass rush. Uh, and they did a similar thing in the defensive backfield where they had William Jackson, the very good player, probably their best cover corner, but a guy who wasn't making a difference on his own A and had some behind-the-scenes issues with the coaching staff, for better or worse. And they said, let's go two-for-one with him, and they brought in Chidabe Wuzier, who's been outstanding this season. Yeah, so, it's been really good. Yes. Uh, and Mike Hilton, who gives them at least a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of wild man, uh, aggro, Steelers-esque <laughs> edge off the uh, edge in the slot. He's been decent. And it, it's really been a, as much a, a depth thing, you know, they, they, they said it, you know, we, we have, we can go top flight guys at positions one through four on the team. And, and then when they get hurt or something happens, we have to go to the street to bring in free agents like they did last season. And, and they were horrific on defense or they can build up the depth and at least be ensured that when injuries hit or things happen in the game, guys get tired, whatever they can, bring in, you know, quality to, uh, NFL players who know what they're doing at least. And they've certainly done that. They've had a good red zone defense. They're, you know, that they're bending but not breaking in key elements, key spots. Uh, when they've turned the ball over, they've given up field goals or, or turned the ball right back over. Like in the, the, the Detroit game this past week, mm -hmm. early on, interception by Detroit. They're down deep in 
Cincinnati territory and they took the ball right back away and the route was on after that. You know, they're not an elite defense uh, in the all-time annals by any stretch, and they might not even wind up being a top-10 defense at the end of this year, but they'll be in the top half of the league, you would think. And by Cincinnati standards, that's that's obviously excellent, and they're doing just enough. And so far, it's been a decent complimentary football uh, the last couple of weeks, and really, you know, the defense has carried the team for the entirety of the season when they uh, have been struggling still to get their offensive identity working and Joe Burrow is eased back into NFL uh, speed and caliber of play. I think now they're kind of what they want to be, which is a team that's, you know, capable of beating you on both sides of the ball. And if not dominating on either side of the ball, at least hanging in until one side or the other can make a play. So that's really where, uh, and they've been healthy. That's, that's obviously a key element too. Uh, And as we're going to talk about, I'm sure a lot of teams are getting massively destroyed by injuries on one side or the other. Bengals have been mostly healthy. Uh, they're going to enter this week with only one starter from opening day not in there, and that's the right guard who they were trying to shovel out anyway in favor of Jack and Carmen, their second-round pick. So, uh, you know, overall, if that can – and I'll knock on wood. If that can stay true, uh, I think they'll be in decent shape going forward. It's interesting because I think a lot of people would expect, if you haven't watched a lot of Bengals or looked at the numbers, they would expect that it's really been driven by offense. Right. Because of Burrow coming back from the injury, Burrow being a big fantasy player this year, and because Jamar Chase is having such a good rookie year. Electrifying. But actually their offense comes out slightly below average by DVOA. Uh, Burrow has not been as good efficiency-wise as he has been fantasy-wise, and that actually surprises me a little bit. They've really, it's really been driven by the defense. Do you feel like the offense is going to get better? Do you think there's a way? Because we know the receivers have played really well. Yeah, it's been really boomer bust. You know, they're they're kind of they're, there's two drives in Cincinnati. There's a three and out, or there's a, <laughs> a long bomb to chase that sets up points. You know, or so he scores themselves. Uh, I, that got better against the Lions, uh, especially in the second half. Of course, things tend to do get right against the Lions, so they take yeah. that with a grain of salt. We'll see how they play in Baltimore this week. Um, and you know, Burrow has been certainly good and he's been situationally good you know his third down passing numbers uh are still good even though they have a lot of three and outs you know the the Bengals were really conservative the first couple weeks with that and they're they they ran on not just running downs but passing downs too they were really protecting him and they were trying to figure out exactly what they had in in their linemen in burrow in chase there was a lot of trying to figure out who was going to do what well I think they're to the point now where they know who they are. And I, they also didn't really run the ball effectively until the last couple of weeks. Um, and I think now they, they have teams sort of in a position where they're going to be, uh, you know, not just always throwing the ball at a shotgun and running the ball under center. That's what they had been doing for the first month. Uh-huh. Tell what the play was going to be by the way they lined up. They've changed that a lot now in the last couple of weeks. And they think that, I mean, I'm speaking a little bit for the team, but I, I think they think that they are now in a place where they trust everybody to do what they're supposed to do a little bit more than they did at the beginning of the year. They, they have confidence, obviously, in Burrow uh, to change protections, to make RPOs at the line and, and, you know, make the right call. Not that they didn't before, but, you know, they just wanted to see what the pace of the game, you know, he hadn't played, obviously, in nearly a year. So that that was important. And. They wanted to see, obviously, what they had in Chase, and Chase has proven to be a guy who 
just his strength running patterns and going up for the ball is just amazing. I mean, they're, they had a couple of plays against Detroit where he was actually behind, you know, he, he wasn't at the top of his route ahead of the guy covering him. Burrow just let it fly. And Chase just ran right through the guy to the open spot. Ball went right down into the bucket, perfectly placed. That was really great stuff. And I know Detroit's, you know, secondary is hardly elite, but you're seeing from Chase that he's a real game changer. Um, so they're just going to, you know, work off of that now. He may become less of a target and just a guy that defenses have to uh, allot two guys to. And the key will be, can they make hay when defenses are paying attention to Chase uh, and make Boyd and Higgins beat them? They're certainly capable of doing so, and Joe Mixon as well. It's just been a little bit of a feeling out process so far, but I think the Bengals offense, as as you alluded to, has been not really their their strength, not at all their strength so far this season, but it definitely the potential's there for it to be. And I see questions come up. I just want to say, you know, this is all through the prism of they played the Lions, they played the Jaguars, they played the Bears in three of those games. So the idea, like, well, the defense looks great, and it doesn't look bad by means, but there are, there's a lot of perceptual bias in there right now. And probably a little bit on the other side of the ball, because when you face the Bears, they can make your offense look yeah. worse than it is while making your defense look awesome. No doubt. I think we're going to see a lot when they play Baltimore this week. Yeah, it's a huge test. Everybody was talking nationally about the Packers being a huge test, but to me, it's much more about the Ravens. The Ravens obviously see them twice a year. Yeah. Uh, they really confuse the heck out of Burrow, the one game he played against them last year. Wink Martindale does such a good job of attacking your communications issue, issues along mm-hmm. the offensive line, and the Bengals still have those. Yeah. Uh, you know, as, as athletes, they're upgraded, but – you know, they're still working out who does what. Uh, Quentin Spain has actually played quite well at left guard, but, you know, right guard is still a rookie backed up by a rookie. Riley Reef is, you know, limited. And Trey Hopkins at center is quote-unquote back, but he's not all the way back from his ACL tear, uh, mm-hmm. as tends to happen at an athletic position like center. So they still have issues along the line, and it's going to be a case where they're going to really step up in class against Baltimore, not even so much because they have – you know, Matt Judon or any elite pass rusher from days of yore going at him, but just the way that they uh, they cause so much confusion and get free rushers up there. Right. There's a problem against the Vikings in the opener. We'll see how it works out this Sunday, but that's going to be something they have to concentrate on. Yep. Corvos asks, what does the future hold for Tyler Boyd? I think mm. Boyd is a pretty good third receiver. I, yeah. I don't see that changing. He's still got two more years after yeah, he's, Cincinnati. I right. just looked up he's re-signed. They're not getting rid of him. He's a key element. Uh, you know, everybody talks about Chase, and Chase has been great, but when they really need a first down, Burrow looks to Boyd first, you know, when they really need key yards. Uh, I think you saw on Sunday, actually, a lot of what Detroit was trying to do, and other teams have tried to do this, is actually double up Boyd uh, and, you know, make them make Burrow beat you outside the numbers. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, has its varying degrees of efficacy, but certainly Boyd is a key element of their attack. And he's, he's an emotional leader. He's a guy who's super tough. Uh, doesn't, you know, no nonsense player. He, he's not going anywhere. Yeah. Barring some kind of injury or something happening. Yeah. He's definitely. That's a a base three receiver offense. You're going to want to try and keep all three of them there. His targets might go down. That's certainly a case for fantasy. But other than that, I don't think there's a plan to move him or anything. Yeah. And even then, I mean, you know, they, they gave the second most targets on the team, I believe, last year to A.J. Green. Those targets were going somewhere anyway. You know, so it's 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 not like they're throwing the chase, you know, a dozen times yeah. a game at the expense of Boyd. Right. Some, a lot of it's just been game planning from the defense so far. 
And believe me, he's still a key member of that team. And, and, and Azuma has had – he had like that one big fantasy game yeah. uh, against Jacksonville, but it's not like he's a major part of the offense like for fantasy purposes. So like it really is the three wide receivers yeah. who get the kept passes. Yeah, it's the Rams, you know, system. Higgins hurt? Was Higgins hurt in there or was Boyd hurt? I forget. Somebody was out. Higgins shoulder for a couple weeks. He's back in there now. He's he's yeah, not 100, yeah. but he's playing. And and to your point about Uzama, it's true. And he's not, you know, he's certainly not a guy who you think of as being in the top forefront of elite tight ends in the league by any stretch. But he he play, he's good when he's been in there. You know, he too is coming off a, a catastrophic catastrophic injury from last year towards Achilles. And you know, when he's been healthy and playing regularly, he's 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 effective. He you know, he's a good blocker. He's not great. He's a good pass catcher. He's not great. But when you have a team with you know three wides that they're going to give the bulk of the snaps to, you don't want a guy necessarily who's going to suck up a huge amount of uh, give me the ball, damn it, at tight end, right? You want a guy like Uzama who, when his numbers called, is reliable and is willing to do the dirty work in every other circumstance. That's who they have. And, you know, they're happy with him. He could be upgraded certainly, but you know, for the time being, he's getting the job done. Useful Baker says, essentially we're going to see now just how good of a coach Zach Taylor is and how much (laughs) McVay magic has worn off on him. You said it yourself that up to like last week, Oh, they're under center. It's a running play. Yeah. It's shotgun. It's, it's it's a passing play. You've got your empty backfield package. It, 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 if that's your three, and it's still all the tell is pretty simple, doesn't bode well. It also doesn't bode well. And I think Brian was talking about Brian Knowles last week that you see the big play, the big passes. It's an audible. You can see the audible at the line by Joe Barrow. Yeah, and that's that's changing. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what I'll say about Taylor. If you look at him under the rubric of oh you. You need him to be the offensive mastermind, the mini McVeigh, the guy who's going to come in and, and make your offense into you know the, the greatest show on turf kind of thing. He ain't that. He's been a disappointment in that category. He's he's done a lot of things that leave you scratching your head offensively, and you know he's definitely been what he, what the he heck. Makes but, he makes yeah. up for it by alienating the veterans, though. Well, that would well, you say alienating the veterans, and that's true, but. All right. It was also, but it, it is a big, he kind of sold that to get the job. He was like, you know, this culture's got to change. We're going to go all new. They weren't winning anything with Carlos Dunlap anyway. You know, they weren't winning anything with Geno Atkins anyway in those teams. You know, Geno Atkins doesn't even have a job right now. Dunlap's not doing anything. Uh, you know, he, he, he has instilled a culture of it's a new young team. We're all in this together. And the guys believe, I mean, it sounds hokey. We're a stat-based organization that doesn't pay any attention to that. <laughs> but there is some truth to it. And if you look at the head coach as less a guy who's supposed to be in charge of the down by down, uh, you know, playbook or whatever, and, and more of a holistic, you know, big picture CEO type, mm-hmm. I think he's had a, a decent effect and it hasn't all been bad. Obviously the wins and losses will say it all. Um, but I think, you know, he's definitely been hurt sort of in a national perspective by the fact that he was ostensibly brought in to, to be a mini McVeigh. And he's, you know, in terms of pre-stat motion, bunching, things like that, the classic stuff the Rams do, you rarely see that in Cincinnati. They, they win there and they have won so far this year by being better than the guy on the opposite side for the most right. part. You don't see a lot of schemed open plays. You don't see a lot of, you know, kind of, trips to one side where they then cut underneath and you have Tyler Boyd wide open underneath clearers, things like that, deep crossers, creating space for Uzama, whatever. Uh, it's 
we got some elite players on offense and we're going to beat you. And, you know, that works to a point, but we'll see what happens when the weather turns and the wind whips up and it gets to be a lot harder to do that kind of thing. You'd like to see more scheme, but I will give Taylor credit for at least, you know, flushing out some of the staleness that was there in Cincinnati and, and the guys are buying into them right now. And they, you know, when you have a young team that's winning, sometimes, you know, that's all that, that matters. Now, if they get flushed in Baltimore and, and uh, <laughs> you know, the season goes downhill from there, doesn't necessarily work out. You know, the culture building only goes as far as your W's, but so far so good. Hmm. Anuna asks a fantasy question. I just traded Darren Waller, Zach Moss and Justin Tucker for Alvin Kamara and Chris Boswell, I do have Pitt to replace Waller. Do you have thoughts? Um, I was team Kyle Pitts is not going to be spectacular as a rookie. Like I felt like uh, as good as he is, you know, tight ends, rookie tight ends do still seem to struggle. And, and yes, he's more of a receiver than a tight end, but he's not on the greatest offense. And he had like one good game, uh, the big game against the Jets when Calvin Ridley was out, but I don't know how, how big Pitts is going to be as a fantasy guy for the rest of the year. But I do like upgrading from Zach Moss to Alvin Kamara, like even without throwing a lot of passes to Alvin Kamara, that seems great. So. Yeah. I I worry about Kamara. I mean, obviously no one else is going to get the ball there, but I see Kamara with a lot of, you know, 17 rushes for 53 yards, and six catches for 31 yards. That Saints offense is really weak. I was doing some stat research on it. There's not a lot there. So, yeah, if that's it, it's like, well, you need those touches. You need points per reception, and you need a, 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 you know, a go-to back that's not sharing the load. You got Kamara there. But feels like a lot to give up. That is a big drop-off from Waller to Pitts, and you lose Tucker, so you lose that sort of, oh, well, you know, I'll get six or seven from my kicker no matter what. I do think, like, you can probably get a better kicker than Chris Boswell. I don't know your yeah. league, but. I was going to say, the Boswell for Tucker the part of it is what right now. <laughs> that got me streaking my head right there. Yeah, just, the kicker part, yeah. I, the only thing I would say, let's balance it out, maybe positivity down the line. I, I was certainly rookie tight ends, even if you're Kyle Pitts, do not have a great track record in the league. But they, given the way the season's gone, they might just force feed the ball to him on every you know, on every possession. Well, that's what a lot of people were thinking even before the season started, that Atlanta yeah. would just force yeah. the ball. Now that it's kind of reality. They have. Yeah. And now it's like Gage has been injured, and I mean, clearly yeah. they don't give a you know, don't care about Alameda Zacchaeus. So, uh, <laughs> well, who are they throwing to? A Cordero Patterson, apparently. Yes. <laughs> um, let's take some questions that we got. Uh, well, let's take this first question that just came through. Trexel, I called Coach O leaving LSU last week on the AMA. You kind of did, actually. Do you think that Urban Meyer will get the boot even with that rent win recently? Not in the short window here. I think the, the, whatever the narrative has flipped a little bit. He got the win there. The um, the lap dance is becoming water under the bridge. I think we he's bought a few weeks. So like the, the time to check on Urban Meyer again will be when there are more coaching vacancies in in college and when Shad Khan has to look around and say. Who am I going to replace this guy with and who am I competing with? Right now I'm competing with the Raiders. I'm going to be competing with the Giants. I think that's pretty obvious at this point. Probably going to be competing with the uh, the Bears and there'll be a couple other teams. Who am I competing for? Brian Dayball, Eric Bianmi, Kellen Moore, et cetera. When that calculus comes in, then you look at, at what the state the Jaguars are in. If they're close to the state they're in now, then I think Meyer's in trouble. 
I would not be surprised if he lasted until the end of the year. And then they had a press conference and said, you know, we, we gave it a go. It didn't work out. You know, thanks for coming. It's a much easier press conference to give in January than it is in December. Right. Yeah. right. I would also say, as coach, oh, I'd say Urban, it's not always the bra- The grass is always browning. You know what I mean? You know, like Urban and my take the LSU job, you know, all these big time college jobs, you get a whiff, the boosters there are even more crazy than the, the average NFL fan base. So it's not necessarily a case where he's running to uh, some great cushy college job. But yeah, I mean, I, I said this the last time I was on the AMA. I mean, Urban, he's just wrapped too tight for the NFL. I mean, he's, he's wrapped too tight for most places, uh, especially the NFL. Even when they won last week, I mean, his body language is just horrific on the sidelines. <laughs> and he takes every play like it's life or death. I mean, it just doesn't seem like he's got longevity written on him uh, in Duval County. He's not cut out for rebuilding years. Yeah, exactly. And he, yeah. You know, he, he's cut out for... Uh, turnkey operation and yeah. in college you can make that happen really fast obviously by uh, recruiting 95 star guys and, and letting them loose on McNeese State but can't do that in the NFL. <laughs> Useful Baker said that was a great coach. Oh, that was a great coach. Oh, it was a better Tom Waits though. <laughs> <laughs> well that's the question is Ed just doing Tom Waits? I kind of had a feeling he might have been. Nighthawks at the diner. I'll tell you what now. I'm going to go to that diner and get me some mac and cheese. Yeah, it's too hard on your throat. I can't, uh, yeah, you can't do that very long. Yeah. I don't know how he calls plays or talks through the headset. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I got it. All right, questions we got before the show. Uh, we're going to put all three of these together here. Anarchy Professional asked, accepting that it's patently absurd, could Derrick Henry conceivably break O.J. Simpson's record of 143.1 yards per game rushing average from 1973? The J-Mart and Ramon show from Tennessee asked us, why can't Derrick Henry be the NFL MVP? Mm. And Sharpened Pencil also said, does Derrick Henry have a real shot at the MVP this year? So let's talk about Derrick Henry MVP candidate. I mean, the first thing about Derrick Henry is he certainly so far has made the curse of 370 look foolish <laughs> yep. um, by coming out and being outstanding. He's the most valuable runner of the year so far by DYAR, certainly. He still doesn't have much value as a receiver, but he's the number one running back. And, uh, you know, he makes runs that no one else. I mean, the fact that I believe he was the fastest runner in the league right. so far this year on that touchdown yeah, against yeah. Buffalo when he's 250 pounds is absurd. Like he's an incredible athlete. Like all of that is definitely, I mean, I'd say goes without saying, except I just said it, but like, let's just say it to get it out there. <laughs> uh, that being said, I am still a believer that in the modern NFL, the MVP has to be a quarterback. The, um, by the way, that pace, the OJ Simpson pace, one forty three point one, over a 17, 17 game season will come to two thousand four hundred and thirty three yards. Yeah, it's yeah. it's worth noting that even in the, <laughs> yeah. even in the first six games, Henry is not on that pace. He's, He's not one hundred thirty per no, game. No. Although I have to say that wasn't the O.J. Simpson record I thought he was alluding to right when he first mentioned <laughs> oh, the question. So I'm glad it went in that direction. Nighthawks to the diner. Um, <laughs> I, um, I mean, Henry would have to actually be better than this to beat that record. That is not going to happen. Right. Now, by the yeah. way, you mentioned you still believe it's a running back award. and I mean, it's a quarterback award. And as a voter, 
you of course, you know, have a lot of a say in that. Uh, as I mentioned on Slack earlier, Adrian Peterson, the last running back, non-quarterback to win the award in 2012, last running back to get votes, to even get votes, yeah. was Todd Gurley in 2017. Well, he got a handful of votes. Tom Brady won the award that year. I think I, I put it on the Slack 12 votes, something like that. Year before that, it was Ezekiel Elliott. And then before that, but even you go back before that, it's running backs getting two or three votes out of 50. It's, a, it's an unbelievably rare thing. That said, if this is the kind of year you have, yeah, this is the kind of year you have. Not only do you have this year, but you know, Mahomes isn't having a lights out year, Josh Allen is not having a lights out year, they're not gonna give Brady his 13th award. Uh, Lamar Jackson's having a great year, so you put him in the conversation. Um, so so and you can look at the story of the Titans, the story of the team, and say, This is not a playoff team without Derrick Henry. There's no clear one or two quarterbacks. Like there are a lot of quarterbacks who deserve yeah. consideration. So it is kind of a mess right now mm-hmm. that you could see someone saying, well, Henry is the guy, right. but I could see four or five people saying that I can't see 26 of them saying it. I mean, I would vote for him just to the fact that he makes the AFC South watchable by himself. I just think the league was built on great running backs. So it's nice to have somebody at least that we can have a conversation about in this day and age when passing is so completely taken over the league. And, you know, at least here's a guy who's so unusual and he defies, like you said, Aaron, you know, he's defying the heavy carry uh, breakdown effect and he's defying teams stacking a box against him when they know that he's the only way they can, they can really win, move the ball. I, I, I agree that he's not going to win the MVP. But I sure think I'm thankful that he's around and giving us uh, this kind of performance. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I love being I mean, watching him run is fantastic. There's I mean, there's no question. Like as far as like fun players to watch, he's way up there. He's Right up there. You guys didn't you guys don't watch the regular Monday night feed, right? You guys watch the Mannings. Well, it's been the only the only thing has been the regular on. Monday night feed yeah. the last couple of weeks. So. Oh, OK. OK. Uh, they were getting a little. I, I, Henry was playing phenomenal. But they were getting a little carried away every time he caught touched the ball. Who dares to tackle him? Who's going to make a, a business decision? Who? Nobody wants a piece of this action. I, it was kind of funny, uh, but it was like maybe a little extreme. It's like, yeah, he's the best running back in the league. Uh, safeties for the Buffalo Bills aren't saying, oh, no, right. not me, not Matt, Matt Milano, not Micah Hyde. I'm not going anywhere near that guy. Right. It, it, you know, it's sort of the way that you have to do the primetime shows is yeah, you have to pick a storyline and ride it because the <laughs> week before the storyline was Josh Allen MVP candidate. Yeah. And my God, they beat the hell out of that. <laughs> even though, I mean, statistically, Josh Allen is not even close this year right. Right. to being an MVP candidate compared to Kyler Murray Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Matthew Stafford, and so on. It's the curse of pre-production. You know, you have, you build all your graphics and all your replay packages and everything to get ready for a certain storyline, and then you know, whether or not it's appropriate, you beat it into the ground. So yeah, right, well, and it was appropriate. I mean, yeah. right. Josh Allen had a really good game. No, of course, that's but I would say you know, Derrick Henry took over that uh, game. You know, Absolutely appropriate. But my God, they beat it into the ground. They yeah. totally did. Um, here, here's a little bit of my explanation, just for those who don't kind of understand. Passing is so much more efficient than rushing. 
And you can see it if you look at DVOA. And the fact is, I don't have EPA numbers in front of me, but you can see it if it's EPA too. Titans right now, their offensive DVOA running the ball is 6.2%, right? So they are 6% more efficient than the average of all offensive plays. Tampa Bay, which is the number one pass offense, their pass offense DVOA is 54.5%. So Tampa Bay's pass offense is 54% than the average, uh, more efficient than the average offensive play. In fact, 21 different teams in the NFL have a higher pass offense DVOA than the run offense DVOA of the Tennessee Titans. Mm. And that's why it has to be a quarterback and not a running back. Because as physically impressive as the athletic feats of Derrick Henry are, the fact is the best, you know, Tom Brady and Dak Prescott and Kyler Murray in a good year are just bringing more value to a team than what Henry is bringing. I will say this. I want to throw the odds at everyone. The MVP odds. Right now, for Derrick Henry, are plus twenty five hundred, plus twenty five hundred. That's lower than Mahomes, Rogers, Herbert, Stafford, Jackson, Allen, Brady, Murray, and Prescott. All the guys I think that Aaron just mentioned a moment ago. Then you switch over to Offensive Player of the Year, which I think a lot of us interpret in our heads as best non quarterback on offense. Right. And Henry's way up at plus four hundred, leads the field, laps the field. So you know that's what the house anticipates, and you know that's probably what we will see uh, come come voting time. And Jefferson E. White, by the way, points out that Kansas City is really weak against the run on less than third and three. I think they're weak against the run like all the time. Like, right. like Henry's going to blow the doors off them this week. Like, uh, yeah. But that being said, the Titans have lost to Kansas City the last couple of times they've played them. Mahomes then just right. goes out and outscores Henry. Right. That's the er example of what you were just saying about passing versus running. That's just one of yeah. the the efficiency of Kansas City versus what Tennessee has with Henry. And maybe if we're the offensive player of the year was remembered down through the years and we could, you know, summon up whoever yes. won that year, then it would be fine to make, you know, you say yeah. Henry the offensive you know, non-quarterback MVP, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, and do it that way. But of course, you know, it, it's de facto non-quarterback MVP, but nobody remembers who wins from year to year. So that's the issue. Yeah. I mean, partly because it's only in the last couple of years that it sort of has become that. Yeah. Like right now, I'd say I probably would give my offensive player of the year vote to Derrick Henry. Right. I have no idea who I would vote for for MVP. There's so many good quarterbacks this year. It's really hard to tell who deserves it. You know, once you consider who they're right, like Brady has the most passing value, but when you consider who his teammates are, Mm -hmm. you, you know, but then Prescott has really good teammates and so does Murray. And so it's like, who's twice Lamar for me, just that. Yeah, I guess. I mean, Lamar absolutely deserves the, the, uh, the consideration. Lamar Jackson is interesting for people who don't know, getting a little bit into the DVOA weeds. He always comes out with like replacement level value as a runner. Yeah, it's tough because so the reason why that happens is because we're comparing his runs only to other quarterback runs. Right. And quarterbacks in general are much more efficient as runners than running backs. But the fact that he has so many quarterback runs brings all this value that other quarterbacks don't have precisely because quarterbacks are more efficient as runners than running backs. So it's like, I'm sort of stuck where I've got this stat that compares him to run, you know, compares him only to other quarterbacks. But the fact that he runs so much is where a lot of the value is because 
when he runs instead of a running back, it's going to be more efficient. Um, it, it appears in the team DVOA for rushing, though, yeah, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's kind of the thing. What what he's and of course what what he's doing is also he does open up all these upper t- opportunities for the other running backs. So a lot of times when I'm looking at the Ravens, I go to the team rushing DVOA to get a sense of where they really are. Although surprisingly, Baltimore is only tenth in team yeah. rushing DVOA. Yeah, yeah, uh, early bad issues, a couple of games where they weren't opening holes, so it didn't really matter who was running, and uh, it also doesn't factor in the Lamar, you know, getting away from three guys about to sack him and make it a play either downfield or or just you know turning a 10 yard loss into a one yard gain, something like right. that. You know, that. That's the kind of thing that DVOA doesn't reward. But as you watch in the game, you're like, holy cow, you know, I, I, I go back to the lions game where before the fourth and 19 and that set up the long field goal by Tucker, he made a play where he just yeah. somehow uh, eluded a, a blind side rusher incredibly and just danced out of bounds, saved the time on the clock and saved yardage. That would have lost the game right before the drive even started, and it's completely forgotten and what happened afterward. But that's the kind of thing that <laughs> only Lamar can really do. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kyler can do it. Hey, right? Kyler, yeah, okay. Yeah. But even Kyler, you know, to me – doesn't is, do it as often, I think. Yeah. Not quite as slippery as Lamar. Lamar is just a more eel. You can't get your hands around him. It's unbelievable. <laughs> a couple fantasy questions. Bam Bo says, is Damian Williams droppable for Robbie Anderson or Chris Evans? I think Damian Williams has COVID. Yes. So you would want to keep him because once he no longer has COVID, he's still the starter until David Montgomery comes back from his injury. The kid Khalil Herbert looked great, but he's not going to unseat Williams. And they're going to run the ball a lot because they don't want to throw the ball because they're bad at it. And they're halfway decent at running it. Yeah. So I would think that Damian Williams is not droppable because he'll get over COVID. Yeah. And Robbie Anderson – What's, yeah. what's your what's your confidence level in Sam Donald right now, folks? What is the confidence level? <laughs> Let's not overreact not on Chris good. Evans. I mean, much as I love him, I mean, he made you know a couple of good catches, and he's a good ball player, but he's not taking over the load anytime soon unless injuries strike. Yeah, Chris Evans is had had one of those games that receiving backs have every so often. So yeah. did Kenyon Drake last week when he had two touchdowns. Like it's not like Kenyon Drake is suddenly the leading touchdown scorer for the Las Vegas Raiders. He right. just Receiving backs have those games every so often. Sure. Right. And he's a rookie. I mean, he just started. Uh, Corey Davis or Devontae Smith this week? Corey Davis is playing the Patriots, and Devontae Smith is playing the Raiders. <sighs> Offense, I don't know. Is our, projections prefer, our projections do prefer Devontae Smith. If it's point per reception, they're going to yeah. throw him four wide receiver screens. So right. take them. I, I would lean Smith. To uh, just you know, Patriots defense better. Yeah, you know, yeah. because I would think that they'll put J.C. Jackson on Corey Davis. On Davis, yeah. yeah. So yeah. he won't. You know, they'll pick on teams. Pick on whoever Jalen Mills is covering, uh, and and that's not going to be Corey Davis. And it's uh, another case of the ghosts of Zach for Zach Wilson seeing you know in that in that <laughs> secondary. Who knows what he'll be? Who knows which uniform he'll be throwing to on Sunday? So yeah, go yeah. with Smith. And then uh, Crosby or Coup for kicker. Oh gosh. Uh, and this is actually a tie in the Football Outsiders projections. And a reminder: you can get all the Football Outsiders weekly fantasy projections produced by Scott Spratt with an FO plus membership. So get yourself an FO plus membership and all of these questions will yes, be answered yes. for you by Scott yes. Spratt's projections. Yes. Do it now. Uh, 
I would probably just prefer to go with the guy with the better offense, and so that would be Crosby, but I think it's six of one, one half dozen of the other. Yeah. No um, Falcons. Yeah, what'd you say? Yeah, no. Miami Miami is my pick of the week, so we're on opposite sides of that one. No, no Falcons. I, I Do you think I said go Falcons? Oh, oh I thought you said go no. Falcons. Like, no. No Falcons. Well, because you wrote today, you wrote, uh, today about Miami <laughs> and the troubles they're having. So. Yes, yes. Um, Bill Houston says, were we shocked, the three of us shocked that Doug Peterson left the Eagles? Did I agree with it? My understanding was that Peterson disagreed philosophically with the team owner. What was the nub of the disagreement? Do you see Peterson coaching in the NFL again? And was Frank Reich the Peterson secret sauce? Okay, this is all for Mike. Jeez. Uh, did you Funny agree question. with it? Yeah. Uh, disagree with philosophically with the team owner. Hub of the disagreement. Overall, uh, creative control of the roster, offense, etc. Future of Carson Wentz. And whether or not you should be uh, having dinner at six o'clock p.m. on Thursday night in a public place after a loss, um, I'll just let that one sit there. Uh, do you see Pearson coaching the NFL? Absolutely, he will coach in the NFL again. He will get picked up by the Andy Reid tree as a quarterback coach, offensive coordinator, and move his way through the ranks and probably get a second opportunity. He has a Super Bowl ring. He's laying low right now, I think, because he's got a big consultant fee, and because it happened late in the. His dismissal happened late in the in the process for for coaches. Right? I think he would be an interesting choice for the Raiders. Was Frank Reich Peterson's secret sauce? I think it was lightning in a bottle to a degree. By the way, Raiders that's a that's a good choice because he he'll come in, he'll uh you know he'll wipe the slate clean. He's got a players coach mentality. He'll attract good assistance, and you know he goes to Emeralds. He goes to Emeralds. Uh, yeah, but yeah, secret sauce, it was a lightning in the bottle situation. I think a lot of things broke right for that team. Um, and like we're gonna be parsing for years to come because I don't think Reich, I mean Reich is good, but not phenomenal. Coach Filippo Filippo looked phenomenal there. He has not done anything as a coordinator since. Just just a lot of things happened at once for that Eagles team. Thank heavens because we needed it, but like it's not repeatable, I think. I want to take two questions that we got before the show because they, I think, are going to spawn some good yeah. discussion. The first one is Parker Fleming. What stat-centered storyline have you been most wrong about the season so far, and how has that changed your thinking about a team or a player? So I said I would address this on the show because it's been a big topic on analytics Twitter over the last couple of days. Was there a subset of analytics Twitter that said, literally, that there was no difference between Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff and that the Rams were no better off with Stafford than Goff. I think that that is a straw man mm -hmm. that some people have created. I don't think there's anybody in the analytics community who said that. But what we did say, and I know I said it, was the nice. difference between Stafford and Goff was less than mm -hmm. what conventional wisdom seemed to suggest that it was. And Michael David Smith, I think, had a good take on this on Twitter, former FO guy, now at Pro Football Talk, when he said, Stafford has been a little better than I expected. Goff has been a little bit worse than I expected. And we shouldn't be judging any trades after six games. That is a very reasonable take. I'll, I'll say that it definitely makes me look at the whole difficult question of how do you use stats to judge players when the stats can't separate 
what is the value of a player and what is the value of the scheme that he's in? Yeah. Because we really had this issue with two big trades this offseason. One was the Stafford Goff trade. And the Stafford Goff trade definitely seems to have been decided in favor of the idea that it's that that the scheme affects a player's performance more than more than we realized, right? That Goff was being held up by scheme. You put him in Detroit, all of a sudden he's horrible. Stafford was being held back by scheme. You put him in the Rams scheme. Now all of a sudden he's an MVP candidate. Right. But the other trade was Sam Darnold to Carolina. And here's the thing is the idea was that putting Sam Darnold in Joe Brady's scheme instead of Adam Gase's scheme was going to unlock Sam Darnold and make Sam Darnold an above average quarterback. And it has not. In the Sam Darnold case, the value of the player has been more important than the value of the scheme. So this it's I don't feel like the Stafford thing has proven Right. Like, I feel like that's the take I was most wrong about in the offseason, but I don't feel like it's proven that scheme is completely like that much more important than that. You can't use stats to judge the players because you have to like look at scheme and arm strength and stuff because the Darnold thing seems to prove the exact opposite. Right. Right. And I agree with a lot of that. And Mike's point about waiting more than six games before making the conclusion, but yeah, there's, as we get more emergent things like the ability to break things down by, well, how does a quarterback do play action? How do they do empty sets? How do they do on more than 20 yards downfield? We may be able to parse these things out more, um, which is fine. But like when, when, then when you get to the Twitter community and the narrative, you get what you were talking about, Aaron, like, oh, well, the stat people said this. And if you say something nuanced, like, like, oh, if McVay opens up the, his em empty backfields more and uses more of this, then it works. But if not, it doesn't. No one's going to remember that. They're going to remember the headline. So, you know, what the, the good work you do has to be separate from how it's interpreted. Could also just be living in Los Angeles is better than living in Charlotte. You know, I mean, both guys came from horrible. <laughs> uh, you know, one of them. Well, let's the got right here. You say that. I'm in Atlanta, so I should, you know, I'm closer to Charlotte for sure. But I have a lot of California ties. Now, I, I'm. That to me was obvious. And I, I was one of those guys preseason who I wasn't down on Stafford from a staff perspective as much as I was just from the Rams overall. I, and I, you know, we'll see. Like I said, it's only been six games, but, you know, I thought the whole top heavy approach to their roster and, and losing Brandon Staley and just kind of the assumption that Stafford was going to magically come in and, and take them to another level was a fallacy. And uh, so far it hasn't been. But, right. you know, who they played other than the Tampa game when they were all brilliant. And they obviously were pointing to that game as a big thing. You know, I, I saw a decent amount of the Giants game. And it's not like Stafford was playing great in that game. I mean, they were handing them a lot of that game, the Giants. And, you <laughs> no, know, the Giants offense was horrible. Just, in that. Yeah, that game horrendous. was won by the defense. Yeah. Oof. So, I mean, you know, I, it's like everybody's been saying, and it's very nuanced. And Stafford has been better than uh, – not even better so much as he's just he's he's lived up to what he was supposed to have been at least uh if you listen to what people were saying before the season obviously if sean mcveigh is willing to go out on that boat on that limb and believe in your guy so much there's something to be said for that just playing with confidence and knowing that everything you're doing out there you get the feeling in detroit that Stafford was just like half the times like i don't give a rip what 
you know, <laughs> if the coaches are calling, I don't care what's going on. I'm just going to play my game and let this, you know, let the chips fall where they may. Now they're in lockstep. Everything is right. It started out great, but it's a long season. We'll see what happens when, you know, his top two receivers go down or his, his tackles go down like it's happening in Cleveland. If they have a rash. And it's part of this discussion also, Goff has been. And bad. Goff's terrible. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he was really bad against the Bengals. I mean, I know a lot of people didn't watch that game, but, uh, you know, there was a holding flag down on fourth down and he threw it away just out of bounds, which <laughs> immediately uh, resulted yeah, in. Yeah, that a, was, that was, that, I saw that play on this, on a side monitor because I was watching a different game and then on yeah. side monitor it was during a commercial and I'm like, oh my God, he just threw the ball away on fourth yeah. down. Like, how can you do that? You so can't do that. Like, and I mean, even, you know, uh, you know, he, he's going to get his kneecaps bitten off by uh, by Dan Campbell any minute now because he was calling him out after the game when, you know, when, when that happens. And on golf was never a long term solution in Detroit anyway. He knows that. Everybody knows that. He's, you know, they, he was agreed as part of the contract. I don't think he knows that. I think he probably saw this trade as his chance to start possible. over and prove himself as the right. long term solution. And he certainly doesn't look like that. And it isn't it just the Lions' luck that they may end up with a top three pick, maybe even right. the number one pick in a year where there's no great quarterback. Yeah, it's, it's rough. It's, it's definitely Lions luck for sure. Uh, the other interesting question we really got before the show was from Maple Metrics. And he asked, what trade should a Super Bowl contender make that would address their biggest weakness and most improve their odds? I'm going to throw to you, Rob. Should the Bengals be seeking an offensive lineman. For example, Laramie Tunsil, if there's a fire sale going on in Houston, when he gets, when his thumb is repaired. Right. You know, I considered that and I would say, uh, A, they won't. I mean, you know, it's all hypothetical because they're definitely not doing that. I think we all know that. Uh, and, and B, I mean, yes, to its point. I mean, if they can get Tunsil, you make room for the guy and do what you got to do. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, uh, that's, Certainly true, but in general speaking, I mean Jonah Williams as their left tackle has not not been a problem. He's played sure. pretty well, real well. No, guard, a guard would be better, right? Yeah, right guard. But even there, you know, I mean, the left guard Quentin Spain has played well. Uh, he's not a long term solution necessarily, but he's played much better than they thought they had. And they just drafted Jackson Carmen to play right guard, and they got another rookie behind him, and yeah. they have still Xavier Suafilo, who is the ostensible starter. I just don't think they'll do it just from a numbers perspective. They could upgrade and, you know, listen, if they could go out and get a, a player of, that, of the tonsil caliber, you right. do it and then figure it out. I just don't think it'll happen. I will say I wonder how easy it is to plug a offensive lineman in yeah. in the middle of the season because yeah. those guys have to work with each other and get used to each other. But I did go and I looked up a list of the top free agents for 2022. These are guys who are in the last year of their contract who are on bad teams. And among that list are Brandon Scherf of Washington right, who's hurt. and Andrew Norwell of Jacksonville. That's the one who I was considering. Yeah, that's a good one. He's a good ball player. They're going nowhere. Uh, again, you guys have to. You guys have to and then you're not out. blocking Carmen because you only have that guy till the end of this year. Well, and also we, you know, Carmen played tackle in college, and it right. was probably more natural to tackle. They moved him to guard because that's where the need was, and they thought that was sort of a long term, or not long term, but that was the best solution for this year when they got Reef. Uh, and he's been adequate, Carmen, so far. He's a rookie, uh, but maybe the long term solution is to get a 
a real interior dominant player and move Carmen out to, to right tackle uh, at a certain point. And then, you know, maybe that unlocks his potential as well. Um, but Norwell definitely ran through my mind and, you know, Bengals aren't the kind of team to, to flip draft picks for guys like that. But if they would, or, you know, you can make an argument, they could send an Auden Tate or somebody like that over who they have, you know, kind of languishing at number four on the wide receiver depth chart. We talked earlier about how they have the three top guys who aren't going anywhere. So, you know, take I think Norwell would also be interesting. Norwell would also be interesting for the Packers yeah. and the Raiders. Okay. If the Raiders can, and I'm sure the Raiders consider consider themselves playoff contenders at four and two, even though my playoff odds don't really consider them heavy contenders, they consider themselves contenders. Packers should be looking for extra line help. They should be looking for secondary help. I don't think Rizul Douglas for the long term is who you want out there. I mean, there there are a lot of teams where it's like, well, go get the time machine and go get uh, Gilmore, uh, you know, who's going to come in for the Panthers probably too late as it falls apart. Go back and do that. I had this wacky one that I wrote about a little bit and walked through. It's like the Chargers need a return man. We only talk about a return man, but the Chargers get are getting nothing out of their special teams right now. And, you, you know, it's like three yards per punt return and like nobody on kickoff returns. So they're a team that could go out there and say, give me your speedster. You were just mentioning T. He can, he's a return man. Now you're not going to be a seller when you're the Bengals at this point. But if you're talking about something you just plug and play and get an upgrade, I thought the Chargers should go after Andre Roberts. He's on the, on the, uh, on the you know market right now, that's a little thing a team can do to get a, a serious upgrade or a kicker. They, but could, there get, aren't okay. they could get Darius Phillips who fills two needs. He could return and he could cornerback for you yeah. too. So yeah, yeah he's thinking that way, but they won't. They Allen Allen Robinson I thought would be an amazing trade target, but the Bears at three and three probably mm-hmm. think of themselves as playoff contenders. Of course they do. They can't admit I, it's a they can't admit to be sellers because then everyone gets fired. Yeah, they, they're never doing that. And, but uh, but uh, but he would be an amazing trade contract. Here, here's who else I have on my list of top free agents, guys who are at the end of their contracts on bad teams, uh, and where I think they might be useful. Cool. Mike Gusecki of They're the Miami moving. Dolphins. He's not moving, but go ahead. Would be interesting on the Saints. Yes, that's a good move. Yeah. Yes, they ain't doing it, em- but yes. Emmanuel Ogba Ooh. of the Dolphins also in the last year of his contract, would be interesting on the Kansas City Chiefs. Any defender would be interesting on the Chiefs. But I already yeah. have somewhere in that, yeah. Here's a player who really could go somewhere. Okay. Safety Marcus May of the Jets. Yes, all right. I wrote down Chiefs or Titans to play next to Kevin Bayard for the Titans. Yeah, I mean, they're using Molden there, but Molden is a nickel corner little angry yeah. little dude thing yeah something more natural there would be very good and again you can just you name a defensive defensive player and put him on the cheese i'm like yeah i'm down with that i'm down with well, that. Oh, yeah. marcus may to replace dan Sorensen would be right that to me is an automatic you do that yesterday if you're the chiefs um sure. just a couple other names uh derek barnett yeah okay from the eagles Right, that's another help. one who any team needs pass rush help. Lots of teams need pass rush help. Mm-hmm. That's a guy the Bengals should um, go look to get. Yeah. And then a couple of lesser guys, but also Jets, who might as well just have a fire sale. Uh-huh. Fuller Runso Fatukasi, an interior defensive lineman. Okay. I don't know what team really needs interior defensive linemen, though. Yeah. And another guy for a team that might need tackle, Morgan Moses. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was thinking Baltimore should, should do the uh, the Beltway trade and try and pick him up, maybe. And that was Stanley for sure out for the year. And you know, yeah, yeah, that's a, a sort of ex Beltway, right? Because Moses used to be with Washington, and they yeah. signed the Jets this year, but they started yeah. George Fant instead of him, so they really don't even need him once yeah. Mackay Becton is back. I'm not sure if Mackay Becton is already back. Um, I don't know his status. They don't even need him, and it's not like they need anything because they suck. So, like, trade him. Get something for him. Right. Um, right. And then here's my list of longer-term trade targets, guys right. who may not be happy with their contracts, but these are guys, These are not free agents at the end of the year. Brandon Cooks. Okay. Good, yeah, go ahead. Where, where do you might want as well, Houston might as well sell everything. I agree. Right? Like – you could yep. get good value for Brandon Cooks. He you would help a lot of teams. You have a Imagine him back with the Saints. Yeah. Okay. They need weapons. They got offense is going to fall apart. Yeah, they have nothing. Yeah. Xavier yeah. Howard. Yeah. I, unhappy with his contract in Miami. Imagine him in Green Bay. Yes. Yeah. That would be a big I, win. In fact, I have him. I have the Packers doing a twofold trade in, where they not only get Xavier Howard, but they trade Jordan Love. Uh, for him, thus clearing love out of there and maybe getting Aaron Rodgers back next year because apparently he's the uh, he's the main issue. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, the love part is a joke, but the Howard part to them, or even like a Noah. Yes, I don't even want to attempt his last name. You know, somebody who's a smaller level player, but a guy who still would be an upgrade in Green Bay. That's a guy. Yeah, they should definitely call Miami and see what they can do to pry those guys loose. And the other idea, Darius Slay. Yeah, Eagles should be fire sailing more. Um, I have a feeling they want to keep him. I think I think they like him in the locker room. But yeah, he's a guy Green Bay could make an offer. Yeah. Um, do you guys have any other trades that you had on your mind thinking of that question? The only guy I had, and again, this is not likely contract wise, but it would be a big move, and you could you know sort of see the Chiefs doing it would be to throw some guys Atlanta's way and get Grady Jarrett out of there and put him on a on a contender. Oh wow! Wouldn't and and they should be thinking like that. They should both teams should be thinking like that. Right. The Falcons need to get serious about. Yeah, we we are rebuilding. We're going to need yeah, some extra some picks. I, picks. And I was like, yeah. all right, give him a you know Laurent. Uh, Devarnay Tardy, he's a doctor. CDC is right here. He's perfect for Atlanta. <laughs> From Clyde Edwards Hilaire, just for the fun of it, you know, he's sort of a guy who's a name brand in the SEC. You know, you can throw in some picks. You could definitely make that happen. And, and he's a guy who would actually change Kansas City's defense. It's not like, you know, just throwing in some, you know. And it kind of goes with Kansas City's mindset because they really feel like Run defense doesn't matter. They want to rush yeah. the passer. And Jarrett, he's an okay run defender, but he's a pass rusher. He's a pass, pass rusher. Interior pass rusher. He's a guy who wrecks games in the way that, you know, when Chris, when they won the Super Bowl, Chris Jones, you know, he, he didn't dominate the game from start to finish, but he made the big plays when they needed him. And yeah. Greg, certainly Grady Jarrett can, can accomplish that. And you put him next to Jones on the outside, then maybe you got something and, and teams have to approach you differently on, on the offensive game plan side. Jefferson White had a question, I think, about yards per point being the same for the Bears and the Buccaneers. I was and wondering the answer to the question is I have no idea because I never use yards per point as a stat. Yeah, I don't even know what that means. Yeah, um, <laughs> it could also that if that's what that means, if defensive points are part of that. And one thing is that the Bears have not run a lot of plays. They don't have a lot of yards. And I think they have one or two defensive touchdowns. So there's a lot of um, – there's a lot of potential, what do you call it, uh, biases and, and, and pollution in that data. Yeah. 
Um, noise. Noise. Half PPR league, two questions. One, Herbert or Alex Collins in the flex stop? I'm assuming he's asking about Khalil, Khalil. Herbert. Khalil. Khalil. Uh, Khalil Herbert yeah. plays Tampa this week, I believe. Yeah. So yeah. Alex Collins all the way. And two, Patrick from Denver, Renfro or Shepard for your wide receiver three. And this is where I remind you again, all your fantasy, daily fantasy projections are available on FO Plus. So get yourself an FO Plus subscription. Uh, you can either get it monthly or annually, and you'll get all of Scott Spratt's projections for all of these players without having to have me look it up for you. Yeah. Uh, but I'm trying to think who I – Patrick? Patrick has been pretty valuable the yes. last couple of weeks with all the injuries in the Denver receiving core. So yeah. I probably would lean towards Patrick. Renfro in a PPR league, well, it's half PPR. He already said that. So, yeah, I mean, Renfro, Renfro is valuable too. I, I think I'd lean towards Patrick. Yeah, Shepard's going to be valuable because I think everyone else there is hurt. But – it's a dysfunctional offense at this point. I think Pat, right. uh, the Broncos are not dysfunctional yet. It's like station to station, but it's not a mess. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think I would lean up. towards Patrick and get it in, get it in for Thursday night, right? Yeah, right. Um, yeah, make your decision in a hurry. Bill Houston, how many years do you think it will take before <laughs> Joe Burrow realizes that Bengals ownership will not spend the necessary money to build a Super Bowl team? Oh my God, are we really doing this now at this point? Good. They'll pay Burrow. I'll tell you that he'll get uh, market level because they pay the quarterbacks plenty. Uh, You know, kind of the the key element is going to be the next couple of years while he's still on the rookie contract. That's and listen, I mean, as I said, to start off this conversation, they spent plenty of money on on the defense specifically. I mean, I think when people talk about that narrative, it's mainly about the off the field you know, the practice bubble and the, you know, mm-hmm. flying in free agents, first class, and yeah. the, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, it's changing a little bit. It probably never will change uh, to the point where, you know, Jerry Jones does things or some of the other super rich guys. Mike Brown is not rich by those standards, by NFL standards. He's rich by you and me standards, but not by those standards. And, uh, you know, it's just, that's how it's going to be. Joe Burrow, though, is not going anywhere. And, you know, he's playing in a virtual home game every week when they're there. He, he's an Ohio guy. It's uh, it's kind of a dead issue, really. But, uh, you know, I'd like to see the narrative change a little bit because the idea that they don't spend anything is not true. I think what we were joking about before is, you know, the trade deadline is going to come. And they're not going to be active because the front office doesn't work that way because it's sleepy. I was thinking of, you know, like when I try to call the tree service. <laughs> and the tree service never gets back to you for three months until the trees fall. That's like calling the Bengals for a trade. By the time you get them on the phone, the trade deadlines pass. I used to just a quick. It's, uh, I used to live in Hong Kong, and then I moved to Sydney. And the difference between the two, in terms of uh, the buzz on the streets and service and things like that, were night and day in Hong Kong. Right. Everything was yesterday, yesterday, yesterday. Make it happen immediately. Sydney was. We'll get to it uh, Monday at three o'clock, even though it's Wednesday. At Two, uh, you know, Sydney is the Bengals. Hong Kong yeah. is your team out there. There's no question about that. But you know, listen, they're they're, they're doing their best. They're competitive. I'm not going to sit here and knock them when they're four and two. Mm-hmm. JT moving Hunter Renfro or Tim Patrick this week. We just answered that. We like Tim Patrick. Roll with Patrick. We are the Tim Patrick uh, hive here. We are the Tim Patrick. 
Preservation Society. <laughs> Tim, we're here for you, baby. Two first names. You got to go with that. All right. I think that does it for our show today. We've been asked all the things that we could be asked. And more. Uh, there were a couple of questions people asked in the Instagram and uh, about DVOA, like specifics of how DVOA works. Uh, please send those questions to our fo-support at edgesports.com. It's a lot easier to uh, answer detailed questions about how DVOA works over email than on this show. Uh, thank you so much, everybody who has tuned in or is listening on podcast or however you're listening to the show. Again, 1 p.m. every day, uh, Monday through Friday, at least, weekdays, uh, Eastern Time. And we're on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and in the corner of Football Outsiders and a little doohickey now, a little widget. So you can actually just watch us on the site. Rob, thank you so much for joining us. In the Good words of Coach Ogeron, I haven't been here so long. <laughs> thank you, Coach O. <laughs> Special guest. Um, tomorrow, our guest is going to be Anthony Reinhard, a well-known member of Analytics Twitter, who is a Cleveland Browns fan, and he's going to come on and preview the Thursday night Browns-Broncos game with me and Mike. And then Mike and I will have preview of the rest of week seven, which is not actually really great. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, this is not a great. It's not a great week for games. It was sixteen in Baltimore. teams on by. So yes, uh, there's sure to be more Cincinnati Baltimore talk tomorrow. Yep, uh, because there are not a lot of other games between two teams. We'll take it where we can get it, baby. <laughs> um, all right. Yes, preview of the Browns this week is a picture of a match yeah. tent and the yeah. Broncos too. The whole game. Is right. there, I, I called it the four oh seven seventh versus the eight oh sixty third. But I think that's a really, really deep match cut. That's, but that's, yeah, that's yeah. a dated I, reference, I think. It shows yeah, yeah. the old men with the great beard. Bring in the breeze. Bring in the ringer. Uh, I can't say his name because it's so dated. No, it's, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> an epithet. Good night, but, folks. Uh, I think we, anybody who's seen the movie knows what I'm talking about. All right, guys. We will see you again tomorrow, Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern. Thank you again for tuning in. Have a good Wednesday night. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>